Rend. Slaughter. Devour your enemies. There is no other way to survive. You cannot escape your hunger. Warriors of Purgatory. Episode 104 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fans Off-Topic Podcast, where today's topic, which is an odd thing to say about an off-topic podcast, is Digital Devil Saga, the Atlas RPG for the PS2 in the early 2000s that is very intriguing and I can't wait to talk about it with my two awesome co-panelists today, first of which is Robert Fenner. I'm speaking from my two mouthy breasts. <laughs> <laughs> And sec and uh, my second guest panelist is Peter Treisenberg. Podcast games, I do not comprehend. Right. Well, I'm speaking through my demon wings, and Peter is speaking through his foot blade thing. We've we've all been turned into demons. That's the plot twist. <laughs> A plot twist in the first ten minutes, if that. So not even. <laughs> oh, intro cutscene. <laughs> yeah. One of the best intro cutscenes ever. <laughs> it's an excellent intro cutscene, but um, so as I said before, we're going to talk about Digital Devil Saga Avatar Tuner, which was released in the United States as Shin Megami Tensei Digital Devil Saga, and its con- uh, connection to Shin Megami Tensei is tenuous at a plot level, but very, very clear at a visual level, I would say. Mm. Yeah, I would agree with that. Got um, that art. Right, so... Um, backing there's, up. Oh, no, go, there, go ahead, Robert. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, well, it was just a small thing. I mean, there there are there are snatches of um the wider Shin Megami Tensei world in it. Aside from the demons themselves, um, some of the locations uh that you will visit. One in particular, which I think we'll get to before the end of this episode, uh, has appeared in uh, numerous uh, SMT titles, uh, including most recently in Persona Five. But um, we will we will talk about that as we as we talk about what this game is all about. Ooh. Right. So, Digital Devil Saga, uh, as we mentioned before, it's an Atlas PS2 game in that remarkable run that Atlas had in the 2000s. Where um, I might be getting the order of this wrong, so uh, correct me or whatever as as I go. Well, starting with Shin Megami Tensei 3 Nocturne, then going into Digital Devil Saga 1 and 2, then the Devil Summoner Raido Kuzunoha games 1 and 2, and then Persona 3 and Persona 4, all in the range of, I want to say, 2002 or 3 to 2007 or 8? I think those last couple were spread out a little bit. Like, um, I think it went like, didn't it go like Persona 3, Raido 1, Persona 4, Raido 2? Maybe, mm. I... I, I backwards, it was right. Uh, I think that's how it was in Japan, but it was Raido one, and then Persona three, and then Persona four, and then Raido two. Right. right. I, I know. Okay. I, the only um, Devil Summoner game I've ever played is uh, the DS remake. Uh, I'm sorry, 3DS remake of Soul Hackers. Oh, you played the best one then. <laughs> I, I didn't make it that far in the best one, but that, it's it's, it's uh, that's my fault and not the game's fault. I just there was just too many 3DS things I was interested in playing. But there's Hashtag too many games. Always too many games. So that's, uh, but I mean, speaking of too many games, that is seven games in seven or eight years that Atlas put out on the PS2, all sort of spinning from the same engine, or at least using a lot of the same art assets that were in uh, Nocturne and then refined over those seven games. And like among our RPG fan niche, those seven games were hugely popular. Like it was a huge blessing that all of them came out in the United States, and and, and most of which I think also came out in Europe. Am I, is that right, Robert? Uh, they all did. Uh, they were delayed, and um, they had some like they changed the the button configuration in a few of them to be odd. But yes, sure, all okay. of them all of them did reach uh, worldwide, uh, in I think a first. So that was uh, a real treat. Yeah, that is remarkable and excellent, and we're all very fortunate that it ha- there's uh, such a wide reach among those games because the of the three of all of those, the only ones I've played are DDS One, which we're talking about today, and Persona Three and Four, and they are all on my short lists of favorite RPGs. So, uh, and I, I've never played Nocturne, which is a bit of a shame, I know. But um, and and uh, Digital Devil Saga, 
was positively received both by niche audiences like us and reasonably received by mainstream press. And uh, but I think it's not as high as profile as um, as Nocturne or the Persona games. But so it's it's in an awkward position of being a cult hit hidden gem that is you know increasingly visible as Atlas is, has become an increasingly influential developer. Hmm. So. Yeah, Digital I think, Level Saga is great, and give us a PS4 remake sometime. Coming, I mean, come on, right? Oh yes, it, please. That and Nocturne, I think, could really benefit from it. Like, put these two together and enable trophies, and then either like allow you to mess with the encounter rate, or put um, a enemy sprite on the field to run into, and and I would, I would be very much in love. <laughs> maybe a, maybe a fast forward feature. Yeah, we'll, oh, we'll, definitely. Uh, we'll talk about all those things very soon. But, um, but before, game, yeah. yeah, before we get into the meat of the gameplay, uh, before we started recording, Robert, you were telling us that this is this game is based on a series of five Japanese novels. Uh, no, uh, in fact, oh. the reverse is true. Um, so uh, the uh, the uh, the the fine folks at Atlas um, partnered up with a uh, fantasy writer named Yu Godai uh, to work on. Uh, work on the narrative for this game. Uh, but halfway through the project, um, Godai got sick and, and she couldn't work on it anymore. Um, so um, Satomi Tadashi of uh, Persona 1 and 2 fame came in to, uh, to finish the project. Um, and several years later, in 2011, um, Yu Godai asked Atlas if she could um, finish the work that she started and adapt it into a series of five light novels. And they gave her the permission to do so as long as she changed the name to uh, Quantum Devil Saga. And um, those books have been out in Japan for a long time. Uh, you may remember, in fact, have a look, folks. Um, our own um, uh, Stephen Mayernick, May May am I saying that correctly? Mayernick. My Mayernick. I'm, I'm embarrassed myself. I'm sorry, Stephen. Uh, Stephen did a review of the first book uh, when it dropped in 2014, uh, and then it seemed like um, it seemed like we weren't going to get any more. And then two weeks ago, we've got the second one. So s stranger things have happened. But um, I haven't read either of these. I have ordered them, and I hope that we can talk about them uh, in part two. Excellent. I was apparently misinformed. I assumed they were based on one novel, and I remember when that when it came out in English in 2014, and how Stephen was very and others on our website were very excited about it. But then mm -hmm. I somehow had it in my head that there was just one novel, and the games were based on it. But I was very mistaken, and uh, you and thank you for setting me straight on that, Rob. Um, in general, I would say that Digital Devil Saga is a linear game that. Ex that explores some interesting themes and probably would be successful in novel form or uh, in a you know parallel adaptation novel form. I'm not exactly sure how. Mm -hmm. I'm, not, I'm not sure how the novels go. So yeah, um, I could say. Right, and uh, but I I also should mention. I'm sorry to pick on you, Peter. Uh, Robert and I have played this game before. Um, you have not. Robert has played Digital Level Saga two oh. before, and neither Peter nor I have have played that one. Mm -hmm. so, I haven't yeah, beaten two. Yeah, I, I burnt okay. out, but uh, I've I have. Boy, when I fired up uh, my old save of, of DDS one for the first time in twelve years, um, I saw the clock at ninety five hours, and I went, "Oh no!" But um, I think that's because <laughs> of all the goofing around and possibly falling asleep that I did uh, playing this game late at night when I was twenty. Yeah, I, I played this oh, game. Um, I played it on my PS two, not not the PS three download version, but it was only a. Uh, only three or four years ago, and I know I reviewed it on my ancient neglected blog, so I, I could check and find out when that was. So, and uh, and I did that in the wake of being obsessed with Persona three and four and replaying those multiple times, and deciding, you know, I should play some of these other Atlas PS two RPGs that I missed when I was in my teens and twenties. Um, yeah, I I tried to play Digital Devil Saga um, when it came to PS three. Um, I, I I like like I like pretty much the same story. I played Persona, really wanted more. I actually ended up playing Nocturne next, and lo and really enjoyed it, but it's that old fashionedness. Um, but the PS3 version of Digital Devil Saga is terrible. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, it, they got they got delayed because there was a programming problem with the engine, and and they managed to rectify it in time for Nocturne. But those DDS one and two, I remember. Like they were like, sorry, we're we're trying to we're trying to make them work, and then they just released mm -hmm. them broken. Well, and, and, I, <laughs> yeah. and I was thinking like, okay, 
it's not going to be perfect emulation, but maybe I won't notice because I haven't played it. No, no, I noticed. Um, it's hard not to notice when the sound just randomly cuts out and yeah. the game's running at sub 20 frames per second. Oh, gross. And your, your running speed is like, like, I swear to God, if I had decided to like cut through the game and keep playing it, I would have added like hours to the runtime. It would have oh, yeah. sucked. It's like right. the palette version of Final Fantasy IX that accidentally runs at half speed. <laughs> Ouch. Well, um, I, I guess my story was almost the opposite of Peter's. I, I played the Persona games, wanted to go back into Atlas's catalog, but I jumped into DDS1 instead of Nocturne, and I really, really liked it. This And again, this was about four years ago. And I didn't play DDS2 because I was planning on doing a new game plus of DDS1 and beating the super bosses and, and getting all of the story decisions just right before mm. loading up DDS2 and that never happened so that's what I'm doing now for this podcast and I'm nice. I'm having a lot so I'm because I'm playing a new game plus it's pro- I'm probably having an easier time of it now than I did before especially since I can just throw sort of uh, passive weakness canceling <laughs> skills on my all of my characters. Yeah, I'm busy. I'm busy trying to build up those right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I guess that's our individual personal histories with them. Now, going back to Peter, who's playing this game for the first time, what was your first impression of that opening cutscene? And uh, so, sort of, and talking around the Embryon base. Well, I have seen the opening cutscene uh, many, many a time. Um, uh, largely, um, I mean, it's hard to avoid um, in an RPG fan community. Um, as a Shima, casual Shimagami Tensei fan, and um, as an aside, a, um, our coworker Derek Hemesbergen, his handle is literally Embryon. So yes, Derek. He's got a sweet Gale tattoo as well. Correct. <laughs> yep, Gale is best boy. I do not comprehend best boy. What? Um, the, the, I've seen this cutscene before, um, mainly as a video on an old escapist web series where they would watch, they would just comment on games opening cutscenes. So, so I'm watching it playing this time and all I can see when there's like a giant egg that explodes and turns everybody into demons. All I'm thinking in my head is, no, the artichoke, it was supposed to be lightly simmered. Yeah, if you cook those artichokes wrong, I mean, it is a complete disaster. Maybe not quite as disastrous as was what's going on in the junkyard, but, I mean... I don't know. When you ruin dinner, your life may as well be over. Yeah, I mean, God. I was going to say, you, you might turn into, a, you might turn into a, a cannibal demon with uh, blades the, the length of your arm that come out of your elbows. I mean, who knows? Well, if, if vegetables are cooked badly, I, I do literally turn into a little kid that won't eat his veggies anymore. And that's just me all the time. So scariest demon of all. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Digital Devil Saga certainly leaves uh, a heck of an open of a first impression um, with just this that the opening narration that kind of transcends to a very stylish and very soothing intro song, and then the then the um, the cutscene itself is just this this battle between two sides. You don't know who they are. They're making declarations about this this unidentified object in the middle of their battlefield, and then all of a sudden things just go like straight to hell, and you're just seeing from a, from one of the guy's perspectives, and blood just like splashes onto his uh, his little visor thing, and uh, it's uh, and then the game uh, I think the game does a pretty clever job of um building up those opening hours. Like there's a bit of mystery. They don't know what happened. They have no recollection of the events. And then they kind of find out after the fact, uh, what it is they've done. Can we talk about this intro song briefly? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Please, um, go I ahead. thought it was a K-pop song and you corrected me earlier. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's like a, a, a New York soft jazz band called Etro anime. And, um, I guess that means like, like the inf- infinite life or something like that. But like, I thought like, hmm, did they select this just because it has anime in their, in their band name? But, um, I, I really want to know what the story is here. Cause Atlas were doing this at the time. They were replacing, um, game intro music with like licensed, licensed songs by American bands. Um, I don't know if you guys remember the first release of, um, Disgaea, um, Hour of Darkness. Um, if you played that with the dub on, um, it replaced the main theme with, um, a song by the pop punk band Tsunami Bomb. So it, it seemed like Atlas were making these deals with like B tier 
uh, music groups to like I don't know if it was to try and shift games or or what, but it seems like a really really odd move. I, I think well okay as someone who has a lot of hours in that original PS2 version of Disgaea One, I think that's the only intro you can get in the initial release of that. But then I think when you're right. but but then when NISA became a thing and they published every Disgaea game after that one. Uh, you can play Disgaea 1 on PC or DS or PSP, and you'll get the original intro that way. And, yeah. and, you'll, and in all of those versions... Bomb. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> all, and in all of those, you can also switch between Japanese and English audio. But, yeah, so but, that's, but, but you're that's right. What that, that is. Yeah, that's a weird thing that Atlas did. And, uh, yeah, I, I never put that much thought into the opening intro to DDS 1. Damn, that's a strange thing. <laughs> that's all. <laughs> There is a bit, definitely a bit of tonal dissonance going on there. I mean, it's a oh, nice yeah. song, but um, it's a little at odds with the rest of the game, which is very kind of post-punk, apocalyptic, dark and gritty mm. and bloody. And then I would even say that, I would to... even say it goes into in, into horror concepts, or at least just a a, a body horror idea. That's oh, ex- that's, ex- that's explained oh, a bit. Yeah, yeah. it's very. Um... It's a lot like the Cronenberg film Existens. I don't know if either of you have seen that. I have not. I have not, but uh, my roommate will probably get me on it at some point. <laughs> it's like, um, I don't know if either of you have seen uh, his earlier film Videodrome. Either. I haven't seen that either, no. Um, Existens was kind of a, a spiritual sequel to Videodrome. It's not quite as good, but it's um, it's got like a little bit of an Inception thing going on where these these characters, they they can't figure out if they're in the real world or if they're in this like super virtual reality online game and they like pull guns out of themselves at fire teeth and um i got a kind of similar vibe from like the the warring tribes of the junkyard i think they definitely of inspiration yeah i think they definitely have um they're definitely drawing on some influences there and the monster designs um kind of reflect that or at least the way they um they use their attacks particularly um barna uh, Surf's main demon form. Mm-hmm. I think just um, with the, uh, the like I was saying earlier, the arm length blades that pop out at his they pop out at his wrist and like kind of fold back into his arms. It's yeah, gnarly. <laughs> the other and the other demon designs so far are pretty cool. Um, I like Gale, kind of agile and unnerving. Um, Argillas, of course, has the the um, the boob mouths um, and uh, <laughs> snake whips. Um, and the only the only one I really don't like is Heat, just because I think it looks kind of doofy. Like um, it does it's, look kind of silly. <laughs> yeah, he's just like he just has these two head two heads with these like cartoonishly oversized fangs. And other than that, he's just like super buff. Like he looks like Machamp, like after a bender. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, I I, also, I mean we also I don't know if you got to use him yet, Peter. But uh, when Cielo finally joins your party. Uh, I think his wing design looks pretty good. It's a little bit, um, it, it's not quite as creepy as uh, Heats or Aguilas or uh, or Surfs, but I mean, he 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 moves well and looks good on the battle screen. So I I yeah. thought his design's cool. When I when I played the game the first time, I uh, and you once you have all of them in your party, I used Gale and Cielo the most. I think both Surf right. Gale, Surf Gale and Cielo the most. But uh, in general, the uh, uh, you can choose surf stats, but the other four uh, have basically set build, set stat builds, and you can use and uh, you can switch between them mm-hmm. all easily once all of them join. But they all learn the same skills and same classes. So let's uh, back up a little bit and go back to the beginning of the game. And at the very beginning, your uh, your team Embryon is skirmishing against the other another team, but it's. Uh, it it seems pretty clear that uh, after it after you know the mysterious space artichoke lands and you find a mysterious black haired woman in the artichoke, uh, it's it's unclear sort of why the groups in the junkyard are fighting. It, it's six color coded teams I should mention. Mm. And uh, they don't know either. And they don't really know either. And, um, and it's but not, yeah, a lot of the story beats at the beginning aren't made clear to to anybody. It's it's a little disorienting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. And um, and then you sort of you go through the base of the other t- of the uh, of the team you were fighting right right after they uh, right after the opening few scenes. You go through the uh, you go and sort of crash the base of the team you were fighting before. You uh, are introduced to the game's 
um, to the game's combat systems and go through your first dungeon, and you know, and you are introduced to the slightly unnerving idea of eating each other for sustenance. Mm-hmm. Which, it, 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 I, I think that's interesting at several levels because I mean, uh, I mean, everyone turning into demons and being required to eat these demons in order to continue living is terrifying already, but. I think when you're introduced to it as a battle mechanic, you're like, oh, whatever, I'm a demon and I'm meeting other demons. That's not that weird. But it, it makes it pretty clear that it is a horrifying, haunting thing to these characters mm. in the game. Yeah, I think, and I think but, the way it's worked into the story is pretty well, too. Yeah. The, 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 other, the NPCs just react to you in just, like, horror and anguish and then lash out it, almost in self-defense. Because I'm I'm trying to remember his name. The guy who's the uh, uh, who's the horse Harley. monster boss, Harley. Har- yeah, Harley Hugh. Yeah, because when you when you when you fight Harley, the first boss of the game, he is completely freaked out that him and his teammates are all eating each other, and it appears that he has eaten several of his teammates when he uh, when he went berserk after the mm-hmm. after several of them turned into demons, and after you def- so you fight him, and after you defeat him. Uh, you're pre you're introduced soon at, soon later to the character Janana, who uh, who is so sort of empathetic and horrified at, at everything going on that she's refused to eat to eat anybody, and seeing these two characters um, act in this way to what at, at first appeared to me like a, just a weird gameplay mechanic is a really interesting uh, like tone setting of that of the game. Well, I think what's also interesting um, about these characters and their reactions, I mean, they're, it, they are horrified by what's going on, but um, what's also important is that none of them have felt horror or fear before, so right. it's like a brand new emotion for them, so it's like super overload. Um, yeah, that's, that's the really interesting thing about this game is the characters experiencing these emotions for the first time, right. which... Um, that's another part of the dissonance that seems. Um, uh, you mentioned Cronenberg already. I'd say it's kind of like a almost David Lynch esque almost, where like the characters are kind of overblown and not acting quite right, and it seems unnerving to the audience. But it also seems like they're kind of growing into it as time goes on. Hmm. Yeah, and um, we I think we mentioned this at the beginning, but maybe not explicitly. At the very beginning of the game, these uh, six tribes are fighting in this big empty wasteland called the Junkyard. But it's unclear why they're why they're fighting or what um what the source of the, what the um source of the conflict is. But or after what the Junkyard is exactly even. exactly. But after Sarah lands, slowly all of the people in the Junkyard start feeling emotions for the first time and are forced to eat each other to survive, and you see the five main characters of Embryon um, get sort of take on personalities and emotions as the game goes on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, when, and after that first dungeon, when you all meet at the Karma Temple for the first time, you see the other five leaders, or actually, I'm sorry, Harley's dead, so the other four leaders of the, of the tribes, and they seem to, you know, not have much, of a, not have much in the way of personality. But when you encounter them later in the game, they're each distinct characters that are, if anything, larger than life personalities. Mm. So it's 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 interesting seeing everyone going from these empty characters to these well-realized characters with something clearly going gone hidden from the player, and it, it's it's. It's a little overwhelming to the player, I think, at going through the game because it, it it is a slow burn, mm-hmm. but there's so much that is that is unclear and unknown that it's really intriguing and maybe and maybe even frustrating depending on you, how you feel about those kind of stories. Yeah, it's definitely a heady concept for video games. In yeah, this this is a high concept RPG in general. And the 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 world of the junkyard that you've been you know you've been thrown into, and you are trying to figure out what's going on at the exact same time as the rest of the characters, which mm-hmm. makes it like a very very good position for you to be in. But the world itself it's so um, um, hostile and and illogical and alien, and I think a lot of of what adds to that and and what uh, Digital Devil Saga completely stands on its own with is um, the uh, the the setting and um, the the framework around it. Um, this game's really heavily based off of um, Indo-Iranian and 
uh, Hindu mythology, um, yeah. and all, it, it every uses... um, every one of the your characters and all of the uh, all of the named boss enemies, other than Bat, are named mm. after a uh, a Hindu mythology asura, um, or uh, oh shoot, what, what, what's what's the uh, what are the counter asura called? Oh, um, I should know this. The asura is the non-god. Is it the sura? Is it just sura? No, it's something else. Uh, shoot. Oh well, well, but they're they're named after sort of demigods and demi demons from from. Hindu. Oh, the deva. Yeah, deva. That's it. Yeah, they're named they're named after asuras and de- and devas from Hindu mythology. Mm. Or oh, I shouldn't say I shouldn't say mythology. It's a Hindu folk folklore. And uh, well, Indo Iranian mythology. There's a lot of that in there as well. It's yeah, kind sure. of a combination and, and, of the two. And, and even and actually, asura means different things in different mythologies. And the. Uh, and uh, like uh, I mean, the central god of Zoroastrianism, uh, um, Ahura Mazda or Asura Mazda, is mm-hmm. pr- is technically an Asura and is probably the Asura from Persona three and four that that the big sun per- at the big guy at the end of every sun persona. So that you're right, Indo-Iranian mythology has a lot of different meanings and different crossovers between those different cultures. But in general, the a lot of character names and demon names and place names come from uh, come from that. Uh, centrist part of the world. So sorry well, for that we, aside. <laughs> we we do we do see a lot of these names pop up in RPGs. We've seen Asura in more JRPGs than I can think of. But and, um, and, and Chakra and Soma and uh, yeah and and Karma. A, a lot of these different terms are sort yeah. of endemic to RPGs. But this game is so DDS is so um, devoted to its uh, setting with this this world that. It's like a cyberpunk take on like a Hindu temple. Like everything is, it's very, very vast, big statues um, in, and I don't want to say the word oriental, but uh, in like an old Asian style, um, but with like, 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 steel, like, high yeah. technology. Like, like, like ancient Central Asian. Yeah. 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 Um, and uh, what you're saying about the character names, the, the place names, um, the names of each base, like um, Muladhara and Manipura. Um, they all correspond to a different chakra of the body, and mm-hmm. your journey from the game, you start at Muladhara, which, that's the embryon's base, and that's the first chakra at the base of the spine, and each level that you, like, each territory that you conquer, that is the next chakra up on the human body, and then the very top, uh, Sarasara is where the Karma Temple is, and that's where you're striving to reach at the end. So you're you're making like a a metaphorical journey up a tower, and then you're going up a tower on top of the tower at the end. Mm-hmm. Sarasara made me think of uh, the sage in Legend of Zelda: a Link to the Past, which is probably where yeah, his name. Yeah, <laughs> it's probably definitely. where his probably where his name originates. But I definitely did not make that connection in the early '90s. No, neither did I. <laughs> But, um, yeah, you're right. So there's a lot of metaphor and a lot of unusual um, themes present present in this game. I don't want to say unusual. Uh, I don't want to... Well, no other games have really tackled it in this to this level. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. But, but yeah, it's like, fundamentally it, a core part of the, the story. The it's very, it's very cohesive rather than just, like, taking bits from mythology without much care. Yeah, it's... Um, it, it uses metaphor and... And um, and sort of works its specific themes smoothly with the story, and isn't just using simple name inspirations pulled haphazardly from mythology, which is mm-hmm. deeply impressive to me. And I didn't I didn't understand most of these until I could I had a chance to examine it after I beat the game for the first time. And uh, and for some reason I don't know why, but they uh, maybe in the one the one case of <laughs> taking a name randomly from myth, uh, the character Bat. He uh, he turns into an Aztec bat, bat god, Kamazots, for his yeah. for his Asura form. He's Paul Stanley. <laughs> I, I just thought of him as you know uh, man bat from the old Batman cartoon, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I forget I forget that character's name though. He's he's shown up in the comics after the cartoon, but whatever. So there's a lot of unusual things going on in this game, and I also. Uh, before we talk about the dungeons specifically, and I definitely want to talk about the, uh, the, the, um, the, what would you call the, the two princes dungeon? Would you call it a theme park or a fun house? 
Uh, that's right. That is uh, that's Destiny Land. That's the uh, castle at Destiny Land, which right. um, first first appeared as a dungeon in SMT one, mm-hmm. and um, as I said earlier, it's a date spot in S- in Persona Five. Right. It's it is. They are clearly replacing Tokyo Disneyland with Tokyo yeah. Destiny Land in Persona Five. But I, I wasn't aware of that larger SMT reference. Yeah. So it has but, appeared in a number of games. <laughs> but b- before we get into the dungeons in particular, which we do need to talk about, um. I have not played Shin Megami Tensei Nocturne, and I'm, but I'm aware that the combat in this game is basically the press turn system from Nocturne, which is much simplified and much uh, made easier in the Persona games later. But can you tell me, are there any major differences between Nocturne press turn and DDS press turn? The the core battle mechanics are pretty much identical. Um, the differences lie in how you build your characters, um, which... Mm-hmm. It, it, one of the problems with Nocturne and what makes it hard to go back to is you, um, when you learn new skills, like you can only have, I think, eight skills, and when you learn new ones, you have to get rid of one and it's lost forever. You can't get it back from a bank like you can in this game or in SMT4. So uh, you have to be a lot more thoughtful on how you build your main. Uh, but the the press turn system itself, is it, it's been lifted wholesale. Okay. And uh, we should mention, I mean, you have five uh, central characters in DDS, and each of them basically uh, uses a class system where they, you know, uh, spend experience points to uh, gain skills that are in a sort of a class skill flowchart. And you can equip, I think it starts as four and eventually becomes eight skills. Hmm. Right. That's right. And uh, and so eventually you'll be able to you can basically equip skills as a set of eight and the skills can be passive or reactive or simple actions. It's not that much different from setting skills onto a persona in the Persona games, except mm-hmm. it's a little bit more personal and a little bit more customizable in this game. It's very um, this in in a lot of ways DDS is an interesting companion to Final Fantasy X. Ha. Huh. Yeah, it is kind of a spear grid, isn't it? <laughs> Just uh, without the uh, uh, the illusion, it doesn't really. It, it gives you the choice straight up instead of like here is a bunch of nonsense all webbing around, but you're really on one path yeah. until yeah. very late on. Whereas Digital Devil Saga is like, okay, here's everything at once, and you can go along, you can go down any of these routes. It's all laid out in a row for you. And and here's well, the and here's the physical skills that deal damage, and here's the physical skills that eat enemies, and here's all the elemental skills, and here's a bunch of yeah. passives. It's 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 real. It's sort of logical, but um, I must say I, I I like the mantra system as far as like a way to customize your characters. I'm not really a, a fan of how it's implemented. Um, I think it's just a, ma- a question of being a little spoiled by um by skill, getting skills in later SMT games. Um, I don't like the fact that you can only have one downloaded at a time. I want to stack them. Mm. I'm I'm like, a, I'm I, I mostly am upset that you can't, that uh, you can only change them at specialized points. That's also annoying. Yeah, yeah. like I said, I would just like, I want to like spend all my maca on all the skills I want and then just start like loading them up as I go. But instead you have to wait till you find a save point, which can rate, I mean, it's not like there's a shortage of encounters, <laughs> in this game, far from it. Um, oh God! But um, but um, it it does feel like sometimes you'll max out a mantra, and it'll be a while before you get to the next uh, save terminal. And and, 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 and yeah, it, it feels like wasted experience when you. Uh, yeah, right. Um, oh yeah, it does. Yeah. And 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 I mean, it, and it's not. It's also I also like despite all the choices that it gives you, I feel like it's pretty like cut and dry. Like okay. Build up your character's main element. Build up their tree of their opposing um, elements so you can get the skills that nullify their weaknesses. Uh, maybe go after some hunt. Go after some hunting skills so you can get more atma to get those skills. And um, I don't know healing. I guess. <laughs> um, I well, I mean, I, I I delight in planning different characters' class builds or skills or skill loadouts in RPGs. I if if anything like it it. it fires very specific neuros, neurons in my brain that is kind of right. why I play RPGs 
But um, so I, I always tinkered it so that I would always have Surfer Heat in the party and gave them most of the eating skills. I teach um, Cielo, Gale, and Argilla different combinations of elemental and status magics. I make sure to always have some hunting and some and every kind of magic represented in the party here. I definitely go into everyone's opposite element except Cielo's to uh, so to count to cover their weakness. Like, but planning that and executing it and leveling up is like, oh yes, I just want to throw on a podcast mm. and do this oh, yeah. for hours it, and hours. It, it, it's it's fun. <laughs> it's just um, when you're trying to like. It, it, I think it, 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 when you're trying to like run through it to, to meet a deadline for a podcast, maybe cough cough. Yeah. Um, <laughs> then it's like I just want my skills now. <laughs> yeah, and and well, that and we, I mean, feeling the feeling of lost experience when someone maxes out a class and yeah, and you get into more random encounters on the way back to the save point is maddening. And oh yeah. And, and we mentioned this earlier in the episode, but modern uh, adjustments to random encounter. Uh, RPGs with random encounter systems, like the Fast Forward and several recent Final Fantasy remakes, or the uh, random encounter frequency slider that's in Bravely Default and Bravely Second. Th- those are two things that I think need to be in every modern game with random encounters. <laughs> For sure. Because if, if I could um, turn random encounters off and on uh, to get to different areas, but, um, but DDS had continued their trend of having... Um, surprisingly frequent mid-bosses and non-random encounters. Because basically every dungeon, there are some unmissable fights, and having those as checks to making sure that you're uh, that you're leveling up at a reasonable rate is, I, I think, a, a generally a smart uh, game design decision. But there are too many yeah. damn random encounters in this game, and they can get very tedious if you're, if, if you're ready to move on. This was a problem for all of the um, SMT PS2 games, save for Persona 3 and 4. Um... The encounter rates in Nocturne and especially the Rido games, as well as as these two games, they're absolutely obscene and they just drag out uh, what could be a um, rather um, compact and enjoyable experience into something much longer. Yeah, it feels like a streamlined RPG, uh, except for the dungeon slogs are too difficult because Mm -hmm. of of this frequent random encounter rate. And I mean... Playing sorry. my old save, I'm sorry, Peter. Uh, playing okay. my old save, it's it's like difficulty's not even a problem because like I had forgotten just how much time I spent leveling up my guys um, before New Game Plus. So like I've got like auto soma and um, null elemental attacks on everybody. So <laughs> I, I'm just kind I of breezing through. I definitely don't have that. <laughs> I, I have maybe. I, I had maybe that in. I want it. But it's just so long. <laughs> I think I think it's I think it's maxing out every elemental tree, then you get no all elements. Um, I, I I think it's I think it's rewarded by a bonus boss. Oh okay. I oh see. okay. That the, makes sense. There's of which um, there are quite a few. I was checking a list. Yeah, there's four. There are a bunch, and they're all really fun. There's four or five bonus boss quests, uh, and each of those have between one and five bosses to fight in those. We'll we'll talk about them in the second part of the, in the in the next uh, DDS episode we do. But I only beat two of those optional bosses the first time around, and now that I'm doing a new game plus and playing it for the podcast, I want to at least try all of them, maybe not finish the last one, because he's a legendarily difficult boss. No, thank you. Yeah, but, but you don't really, from what I understand, it's, it's not really worth it. Okay, I yeah. mean, I, I de- basically, I want to do all of them except for him, and at yeah. least maybe experience his brutality at least once. Beating the others give you some handy items in in DDS too, so I recommend doing those, and they're fun battles anyway. And also, we should mention there are a couple story decision moments in this game. Um, basically, uh, basically, like, do you do you side with him? Do you agree with him? That kind of things, and the, and I think a couple of those do affect DDS too, because I a number of them do. Right, and I, I want to make sure to get those right so I have the you know more DDS two options in front of me. So I, uh, I I did check a guide before I started replaying this. You didn't, but you didn't uh, select a betray good and nice Janana, did you? No, of course not. Yeah, that's that's Janana, my boy. Janana is a sweetheart, and it is. I felt bad watching her become berserk and attack us. Agreed. Yeah. And, and and speaking of that, isn't it isn't it a bit of a harrowing moment when Gale turns into a monster? Because that was that was almost a you know Resident Evil zombie bursting from the dorm kind of scene <laughs> when when you return to uh to the Embryon base and see that. Yeah, I like that bit. Plus, he's like super fast. Like, I I love I love how that scene's staged. 
Yeah. Because because you just got done finding out uh, what's going on with um with all the people, or at least um, I I think it's before you go to the Karma Temple and after you killed Harley. Yeah, correct. So so everyone's kind of on edge and still doesn't really quite know what's going on. And then you get back, and one of your party members has gone demon and is trying to chew on a uh, Cielo's face. And uh, yeah, I just I like that scene a lot. And. and Gale remains my boy. And you know, in, in general, when they stage these cutscenes and there's action that takes place, like when uh, like when Gale goes berserk and when um, and and, and and when Cielo does his sort of dive bomb at the uh, uh, at the end of the solid space, I think is that is when that is. Yeah. Or, or, or no, or is it at the end of the uh, at the end the of castle. Destiny Land? Yes, end of Destiny Land. Like it. Um, the and when uh, surf and heat coordinate for that really cool um, tandem move, it's like uh, <laughs> it, it, it's really it's really cool action choreography that make these characters mm-hmm. seem dangerous and powerful. It's like, oh man, this is, I, I want more of these. Yeah, the custom animation is rad. I'm I'm kind of hoping there'll be more later in the game or in the, in the sequel because um yeah I'm I'm digging it. It's a slightly more cinematic direction for SMT. Yeah, it's in general. I think that the um, the movement and the and the uh, designs are very stylish for SMT. It's, it's definitely you know those pale Kaneko faces. Yeah. Uh, but it but it's it has a lot of interesting touches and interesting color matching with it. It's it's a really stylish game in general, even though the style is very bleak at times. Um, speaking of cinematic, um, it's actually just dawned on me. Um, with with the exception of the battle barks in Persona One and Two. Uh, this was the first SMT game that had like recorded dialogue, like proper like characters with voice actors talking to each other in scenes. Oh, cool! And yeah, um, so it, it was... had it had Japanese voiceover too. It did, yeah. Excellent. Nice. It was, it was a, a lot like Final Fantasy X in a lot of ways. <laughs> and and um, I think the voice work is good in this game. I, I don't. I didn't. Uh, at least none of it seemed particularly bad or stilted. It's the usual anime crowd yeah. Um, oh, yeah, of the mid two thousand. I mean, Steve Bloom is in it for for goodness sakes, and Mary Elizabeth mm-hmm. McGlynn. Yuri Lowenthal, yep. voicing multiple characters, <laughs> <laughs> as he does like to do. <laughs> yeah, I think overall the voice cast is pretty solid. Uh, Alice, Alice had a really good run with with that for a while. Yeah, they did, sure. and it, it was mostly the regular anime crowd as. Uh, as Robert alluded to, and I mean, if anyone that watched anime in the late '90s through the 2000s definitely heard recurring vo- recurring voices, especially in English. Oh yeah. Hmm. Uh, now, the, um, the dungeon design. Are we going to talk dungeons? Yeah, I want to. I do want to talk dungeons because I think the game dungeon has a lot of them. <laughs> I think that the game has a lot of very sort of interestingly crafted dungeons that yeah. are that are, if anything, and enjoying them is hamstrung by the brutal encounter rate. Yeah, absolutely. Oof. Yeah, I think I think I think we have to. I think I have to make a point that like um, uh, we can we, we talk a lot about dun- dungeon design in RPGs is kind of a lost art. I think. Mm-hmm. It, um, I love the dungeon designs in here, but it just getting com- uh getting like getting from save point to save point is so frustrating because of the encounter yeah. rate that I can't enjoy them as much. Like I, I well, think like, that the uh, I think that the, the that the that the prince story in the Destiny Land castle is amazing, but I, uh-huh. I I had difficulty focusing on it and or even concentrating on the prince puzzle because I was in a random encounter every few seconds. If anything, right. it was it was a relief like, it was a relief to go into the rooms that had a, you know, classic Tales of Fantasia one mirror light puzzle <laughs> just because there yeah. were no, just because there are no encounters in those rooms. Yeah, like I mean that that's a good one. Um, the uh, I, I I actually really enjoyed um, the Citadel, the the solids base um, with mm, um yeah with the, the different statues because that was clever. It played with I, I like how it trip. I like how there's it does that thing where like it puts a treasure chest out in the middle where where one of those statues that's gonna drop you into the into the basement is just out of sight. Like mm. and and in both in the uh, solid citadel and the Maribel base, getting to different points in the dungeon um, unlocked pathways leading back to the beginning of the dungeon, making backtracking easier uh-huh. the, the further you make it in, and making both of those areas seem like contiguous mm-hmm. giant spaces instead of instead of meaningless corridors, mm-hmm. which is great. Like I think the dungeon design in this yeah. game is excellent. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, to be, I, I prefer the dungeons in um, Nocturne to the ones in this game, but I think that I, this is actually a really breathtaking looking game, and it, it doesn't do it justice playing it 
you know, with a SCART cable hooked up to an HDTV because it just looks really, really muddy and washed out. But, um, you know, like hooking this up to, to like th- via VGA or through a FrameMeister. Um, it, it, to an old CRT. <laughs> yeah, it, it will look incredible. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's, that's reflected in the dungeons. Um, they're just so... Uh, I like... Uh, I mean, I don't want to say drab because that sounds negative, but like there's this very, they're very oppressive. They're very brutalist. Um, I think color wise, they're drab. They, they could yeah, be drab. Yeah, and they're meant but, to be. Um, I mean that in a, like, it's, it's, yeah, you know what I'm yeah, trying to say. I, I think um, Peter and I were impressed by these dungeons at mostly an architectural and sort of. RPG puzzle dungeon level and less at a, less yeah. at a less at a visual um visual effect level. Is yeah, that, is that fair, Peter? Yeah, no, I I I I agree. But what drove me nuts and I forgot about is that stupid castle with the prince <laughs> pictures and the one way doors and they just serve oh, to like, this... trap you by a trap door that you'd have like no way of knowing it was there and this it's is, just this like... is not the annoying spin doctor's song about two princes. This is an extremely frustrating securitist tale of two princes. I was gonna make that joke and I forgot. Oh, <laughs> thank you for doing it for me. Oh, you're you're welcome. I actually saw the Spin Doctors live in 2005 at a five dollar concert in Charlottesville, wow. Virginia. That is far past it. That that was, you know, I was impressed because they they had a song in seven eight time and their drummer killed it. It's like, wow, I I can't <laughs> I can't drum a song in seven eight time and I'm literally on the university's drum line. But uh, <laughs> next week, Spin Doctors encounter. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> part one is part one is two princes, and part two is Little Miss Can't Be Wrong, and part three is Can anyone name a third Spin Doctors song? No, just those two. Yep. Wow. Well, uh, welcome to um, '90s pop rock encounter, everybody. Starring Sh- Shoji Magura. <laughs> uh, so you know, speaking of music, uh, let, let's pivot over to the music in this game. Um. It's got a cool battle theme. It rocks, yeah. You need a you need a good battle theme to uh to get you through those many, 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 many encounters. <laughs> I have not played Digital Devil Saga two, but I have heard the battle theme from it and it might even be better than this one. I prefer it in two. Yeah. Mm. Multiple peep uh RPG fan staff insisted I listen to that uh that piece or they posted it on a on a rhythm encounter episode or something. But um, the the music in this game is a very good Maguro soundtrack. A little bit electronic, industrial. A little bit. Uh, it's very jazzy. Yeah, a, a little bit sort of sort of jazzy. It's it it goes multiple places, but it, I never found it unpleasant. Mm-hmm. I do, the only song I really don't like is the um the field hunt music, which um, that's I don't from like um, that's from Mach and X. Is it? Yeah, it was recycled. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, okay. That maybe that's why it seems out of place, weird, and terrible. Uh, that is um, a, that is another. I thing like that I, piece personally. Well, <laughs> uh, I'm just, I'm just, I'm mostly throwing shade. I just, I think the field hunts are kind of wonky. Like it's like all of a sudden in your turn-based RPG, here's a straight linear corridor. We have to run around waving your arm blades around, um, hitting a bunch of glowing dots in a straight line. Oh, it feels terrible. Yeah, it's, I mean, I mean, space spawn. It's basically an, uh, a mini game for uh, a mostly inconsequential prize, and I mean, how many RPGs that we love have sort of terrible mini games baked in? Yeah, I know, but I'm still gonna complain about it when it sure. comes. Sure, <laughs> it, it's no Blitzball, that's for sure. It's no Blitzball. It's not even a, a Tetra Master. Ooh, but yeah, that's why that one that one single song is the sing from the official soundtrack. Ah, because okay, because it's on a different soundtrack. I got it. That's right. <laughs> Interesting. So that won't be the intro or outro for either of the of our Digital Devil Saga episodes, I suppose. You you should put it in the middle of your though, just to spite me. I, I'm inviting you to do that. <laughs> I I think I'll pass. I, I don't I don't particularly love that song, but um, yeah, it's it's there's a lot of cool music, a lot of cool visual choices in this game. It's really really stylish, and it's not it's. I, I think it's artificially lengthened by uh, that brutal encounter rate and how difficult the dungeons are. Because um, please correct me if I'm wrong. I think I think there's only seven or eight dungeons total, and then you're and then you're at the final boss. It's it's not. Yeah, the um the Karma Temple's the seventh and final dungeon. Right, oh, wow. and, and so and some dungeons are sort of like 
maybe two mini dungeons connected together because in, in the second half of the game there's a sewer dungeon that is that doesn't take much time at all. It, but then yeah, the then samsara. There, yeah, but then there's a second sewer dungeon that takes up more than enough time to make up for that. And then there's a lot of like side content and stuff like the yeah. bosses. There's that. a hidden yeah. third sewer dungeon that's a great place to farm your uh, atma points. That is where I did a lot of atma farming in the in the. Uh, the first time I played this game, you, where you can find fight those uh, those the Arhabakis. Ar- yeah, the Arhabaki statues, and also there's yeah. a place in that hidden rooftop area where you fight large phoenix enemies, and those which I I think I forget what it's called. Um, it's not called Phoenix, but it's a it's a large golden bird that had that is a persona in later Persona games. Oh, uh, the, um, the, the the red phoenix from the from the Suling, right? No, 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 no. It's it's not it's not Suzaku. Um, oh, Anzu, I thought. I oh, don't know. It, it might be Anzu. No, because because Suzaku is a uh, is one of the um is one of the Koryu bosses in the second half of the game. Right. Um. Whatever. There 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 are a couple really good places to farm atma points in the second half of the game, and uh, they are both connected to that sewer area, uh, unusually. So yeah, they they check off the sewer dungeon um, list on RPG tropes, but there's no fire dungeon or ice dungeon, which is I'm not sure if I'm disappointed. Thank God. To, I'm not sure if I'm disappointed or pleased by that. <laughs> so I, I like a nice snowy area. In fact, the the three of us recorded the snowy areas podcast a year ago. We sure did. So, what else do we want to talk about? Because the, there's there's a lot to this game, but I think that there's more. There's many more places we could go uh, in the second half, and I'm eager to hear Peter's thoughts on those when he experiences them. What did you guys think of the Prince's Fairy Tale in the Destiny Land dungeon? It was interesting. Um, P- Peter, you finished that dungeon, right? Um, not on this playthrough. Okay, <laughs> I must okay. confess. Um, I, right, I, I, it, I know. I know you were you were there. I didn't know if you finished. I I have gotten through it. Um, I think that was around the time that I was starting to get kind of sick of the PS3 emulation. Okay. So my memories of that bit are a little hazy. I remember that it happens, and I remember get uh, CLO becoming Jamaican. Um, <laughs> but um, I don't remember much else about it. Well, um, as you go through this dungeon, it has a, a slightly frustrating puzzle where you have to, um, where some portraits uh, turn blue and some portraits turn red, and if you run into a red, por- and if a red portrait sees you, then you're thrown dropped into a trap door. Uh, but like as you get through the different floors of the dungeon, you get you listen to parts of a fairy tale, which was ostensibly. Um, uh, part of a sort of fairy tale castle in a theme park, but it's now dilapidated in this post-apocalyptic world. And on the final floor of it, um, the fairy tale narration from this fake intercom is uh, is heavily staticed, and there's parts missing, so you'd never really hear the conclusion to the tale. And I, they never totally explain that over the course of the game, and you never really understand what the significance of that fairy tale is or hear its conclusion in the course of the first game. So, Rob, mm-hmm. I have to ask you, as a as someone who has mostly avoided DDS2 spoilers, um, does that fairy tale represent something or make its ending clear in the second game? Or is it something Oh, I- very, very much so. Okay, um, okay. I can't, I can't really say anything. Um, uh, no, but, I understand. Uh, it's... I think it's a smart way of. I mean, it, it's very on the nose, and you can kind of. I think you can kind of see where this story is going, even from what, uh, like from the third transmission being uh, so dilapidated that you can't understand it, but you can see that it's taken a dark turn, and like certain yes. words stick out, like like kill and prince is, and um, so you can tell that that there's some kind of subversion at the end of this fairy tale. Right, and, and I, I don't. I mean, maybe I'm just a maybe I'm just a dumbass, but I could tell that there was some twist or subversion taking yeah. place, and I and I think it's probably um, that 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 the that the good prince was not as good as he seemed, or the evil prince was uh, had had the princess's best interests at heart. I, I think it's probably something like that, but I don't actually know, and I don't know the events of it, and I find that frustrating. And I and I had a feeling that it's that it also represents something larger happening in the story and I want to see that connection. I, I like that's one of one of the 
small pieces of the game in place that I want to see resolved and, and motivate me to play the second one, which I will get to eventually, I think. So we'll, we'll, we'll have to be, get together and do that next year. That'd yeah. be great. Uh, but I, I, like, I like the fairy tale because I, I like the bits where you see like what is... You, you're not privy to what's going on in this junkyard, but you can see mm-hmm. that there's uh, some sort of... There, there's real world aspects in there, and they're heavily dilapidated, and you don't know why they're there. You know, from from this amusement park to a ship, and just everything's just like twisted metal, and and a war is raging. But you have these relics from a from a different time, or perhaps from a different place. And I think those are, I I think those kind of um, areas are possibly where this game shines the brightest in building its mystery. Yeah, there's definitely machinations behind the curtain that I do not understand. And, uh, and like, you see more and more of them in the second half of the game that only just ramps up the intrigue. And, uh, I, again, I want to hear Peter's thoughts on, the, on those as he experiences them, because he's new to this game. But uh, for now, yeah. all, I will, all we can say is there's definitely a lot going on that is not, that is not in the text of the first half of DDS1. Indeed. All right, so it looks like that there's going to be a lot to talk about in part two of this episode, but we may have exhausted our bag of tricks for now. Because, I mean, Digital Level Saga is a cool, awesome, stylish game held back a little bit by some archaic RPG mechanics, mostly uh, uh, mostly random encounters. And, and, the, and sometimes the encounters get fairly challenging in this game because the enemies can manipulate the press turn as, just as well as you can. Uh, each of your characters has an elemental weakness, and it can really, you know, screw the pooch if you get, if they get hit by one. It's th- this is not always an easy or smooth journey, but I, th- I think it's one of the most interesting, most stylish PS2 RPGs. And it's I definitely c- a strange journey. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> ah, do what you did there. <laughs> well. We're going to continue this strange journey. Um, I think in I'm not sure if it's going to be next week or in two weeks because I I need to check the schedule. But we we will be bringing a part two to Retro Encounters soon. But I think we're near the end of part one. So listeners, thank you for listening to us talk about Digital Devil Saga one part one uh, this week. We'll have more coming for you soon. Um, we also have coming up a special weapons episode that's almost like a Almost a sequel, almost a prequel to the Ultimate Weapons episode we did a, a month or two ago, Peter. Uh, I, th- I think you're hosting that one. Is, um, is... Um, Alana, Alana's, I oh. think Alana was hosting. Alana and okay. I are both on that episode. I see. All right, so yeah, we'll have a, we'll have a, uh, a non-Ultimate Weapons episode coming very soon, along with uh, part two of um, Digital Devil Saga. And in the month of November... Um, I don't want to say exactly what we're doing yet, but it is not going to be a regular two-part game journal episode. We will have more information for you as we get closer to those dates, but it's going to be something happening all over the Retro Encounter, I'm sorry, all over the RPG fan website, and not just the Retro Encounter podcast, so please look forward to that. So, uh, Peter or Rob, anything else we have going on that uh, we want to bring up? I'm good. Nope, nothing off the top of my head. I think you covered covered the basics. Wait, no, Rob, you're lying to me. You just posted fi- episode 52 of Misanthropy. Oh, you. Uh, <laughs> plug. Ch- plug. Check out my podcast, Misanthropy, on Twitter at Misanthropy. We've just done an episode on um, the Vic Tokai shooters, um, the Troubleshooter and Battle Mania, uh, which are um, a uh, very peculiar uh, duo of uh, Sega Genesis shooters where you control two girls. It's a bit like the Dirty Pair and a little bit like Forgotten Worlds. And um, that second game is super stylish. And um, listen to our episodes and then play the games. I have not listened to that episode yet, but I did listen to the Rainy Baker episode and it was excellent. I, oh, cool. I'm not sure. Thank you so much. I have not played very many games on Twine, but I, uh, I'm more intrigued to ma- now more than ever. So uh, before we shut it off, um, starting with you, Peter, where can listeners find you on social media? Um, I mean, listeners can find me at I Have Fury on Twitter. Um, that's the same as my forum handle. Um, and you can also email me, PeterT, at RPGFan.com if you are so inclined. And Rob, same question to you. All aboard, Towns Carmarty on Twitter at MisanthroBob. And uh, if you if you want to email me for some reason, I'm um, Robert.F at uh, rpgfan.com yeah 
It'd be a nice uh, change from uh, the uh, spam on about headsets that I usually get. So <laughs> drop me a line if you want to talk Atlas games or I, any other games for that matter. I usually get sp- uh, spam on free-to-play RPGs, and uh, and I, and I think maybe I signed up for one too many uh, um, email lists when I went to my first E3 in 2016. I didn't even sign up. They they signed me up when I went to E3, so (laughs) my inbox is a wasteland of spam at the moment. Yeah, mine's mine's a mess too. But I think I probably have less than uh, than you guys because I'm not attached to reviews or news, and that's where I think most of the RPG fan spam email gets directed. But uh, Mm -hmm. listeners, if you're interested in getting in contact with me, I am Monsoon on the RPG fan forums at the Real Monsoon on Twitter and uh, via email Solosi at RPGFan.com. If you want to address the podcast directly instead of me, the best way to do so is to email retro at rpgfan.com or go onto iTunes or Google Play or your podcast listening venue of choice and leave a comment, leave a review. We read everything that is directed to us, and we love interacting with fans. Um, If you want to bug us about a Kingdom Hearts episode in 2018, uh, either my email address or the retro email address works. You're digging your own grave, buddy. I'm... I'm, if I do, do if I if I do get an it. intense response, I will address it and I will follow through with it. But it has not happened yet, so I am going to. I'll, I'll keep do plugging it. it. I'll plug it a little bit until do I uh, until I've made a call or not. So from Robert, Peter, and I, thank you. Good night and good luck. <laughs>